Hey guys, welcome to another episode of In The Zone. I am your host, Chris Martelli, here with a couple other hosts, Giancarlo Alino and Anthony Pinello. Guys, say hi. What's, What's good? up, guys? <laughs> and today, uh, to start, we kind of touched up on it last week, me and uh, Alino talking about some trades on the trade bait board. There's some juicy names out there. Max Domi, Patrick Laine, Matt Murray. How about this guy in Toronto, Frederick Anderson? I'm going to start off with Pinello. If the Leafs were to trade Frederick Anderson, what do you expect the haul to be? And which team do you think is best fitted for Freddie Anderson? Uh, there it is. Um, yeah, man. But um, how old is Freddie right now? 31 years old? Uh, I think he's 29 or 30. 29, 30. So, like, if I'm the Leafs, I'm probably still holding on to him because then you have such a big issue. But if they really must move on from him, I need a fucking defenseman in there. <laughs> a number three, four defenseman, maybe another first rounder. This is a package deal. If, uh, if I'm the Leafs and I'm looking to move them, I, I definitely want a few pieces back. Because when you look around the league, like this is, a, this is a number one goaltender and has been for quite a few years now. So it's not just like a salary dump. Like he's still got a lot of game left. I'm looking for quite a few pieces back if they must move on from him. Yeah, like as a, we were talking about that last week and then just as we were thinking about that, a uh, few names came up in the recent days about uh, the Leafs maybe looking at uh, mostly defensemen though, but it would probably have to be Carolina because of their defensive depth. Uh, maybe Shea would be a guy they can get back in there. Uh, I don't know if it'll be Gardner. I doubt that. He's already, uh, poor guy's been taking a beating already when he was here the last time. Uh, Dougie Hamilton, if they can really... I guess sweeten the deal a little bit the, from the Leafs end, but the Leafs would have to add maybe some a first-round pick, maybe a couple prospects like a Bracco, but uh, I don't think they want to go in that direction. I think they want to get as much value uh, out of one player, kind of like what they did with Kapanen, uh, where they benefit the most. So I do see like a guy like a Pesci coming back, uh, maybe a couple draft picks, another prospect, but... Uh, I don't see it being like multiple first round picks coming from a team who's desperate for a goalie. Good stuff, boys. Uh, moving forward, I want to move it to another Canadian team, Max Domi. Two great years with the Montreal Canadiens. It's looking like his trade value is slowly going up, kind of like a Bo Horvat, in that, you know, we saw a lot of potential in Max Domi. Uh, you know, I, I, he, he hasn't really been the offensive gifted forward that everyone anticipated coming out of junior, but still relatively young, still relatively skilled. And he brings that grit to this Montreal team. If Bergevin is looking to trade Max Domi, where do you think a good fit is? And uh, what do you think the, the, the return is for Max Domi? He's he, um, he's an RFA, is he? Yeah. Well, man, like that's a guy where, that's probably like a first round pick and a top prospect. I don't understand, like from a Montreal Canadian standpoint, I don't see why they'd want to get rid of that guy. Even if he like, if he requests like a six, seven year deal. And if, and if he's getting paid a little too much, other than like price and Weber, they're not really tied up to anyone like that long term. And like, when you look at their offense, this guy's only 25 years old. He keeps getting better throughout the years. He's such an old school type player with like the new skills that everyone has today. So I'm, I'm holding on to this guy. He 
he can probably get you a first, a top prospect, and then some. But if I'm the Habs, like, no shot in my trading Max Domi. Alino. Oh, yeah. Sorry, buddy. It's going in and out. But, uh, yeah, like, Panillo, as we're talking about trading Domi, like, the only suitors I see are all in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Buffalo, Toronto, New Jersey needs a guy like that. But I don't know if they would want to trade him to, like, a team like Toronto and Buffalo because you're going to be battling for that playoff spot in the East, especially in the Atlantic. So, like, I don't know if you want to help out their team so much to that extent with a guy like Max Domi. So I think a realistic trade would probably be somewhere like Calgary. Uh, you can maybe get Bennett back, uh, some draft picks, because I know Calgary will probably want to look to free agency for their goalie issues. I don't think they'll want to trade for like an Anderson and uh, go all out on that. So I think they're going to retool with their uh, players, maybe like a trade or two. But I see Domi being a good fit for Calgary. Another thing that I actually read up on, I know Max Domi right now, he's an RFA. He had 44 points in 71 games this year. Last year was a much better year for him. Uh, his cap hit right now is 3.15 mil, which is relatively cheap. I anticipate Domi to maybe ask for 6 mil, maybe a little over that. But another guy that I've heard linked to the Montreal Canadiens, he's actually also an RFA, Kind of a great story as well is Josh Anderson in Columbus. Uh, he's 26 years old. He's only made 1.85 mil with the Blue Jackets. Any suitors uh, you guys think uh, for Josh Anderson? You know what? The Leafs. The Toronto Maple Leafs can use this guy. Um, I remember him in juniors with the London Knights where he was just a little shit and no one really knew what to think about him at the time. And then he went through this massive growth spurt. And he's like a six foot five four, very similar to Tom Wilson. He may get you around 20 goals. I think the Leafs can use someone like that in their bottom six. So I'll go with that. Uh, I'm going to go with Detroit. Uh, they need some help. Mantha, Larkin, like they're two good players, but you need to surround them, especially when you lost a guy like a Tennessee to Edmonton, that trade. And like you did get some value in return, but. You have to cash in on some of these prospects. Like, as we saw with the Leafs, you can't always rely on these draft picks to pan out. You have to go out and get some free agents that are proven in the league in these short amount of uh, years, uh, the short sample sizes that you have seen in them. So I would take a chance if I'm Detroit on a guy like Anderson, bring him in, uh, add him to that core over there, and it'll probably benefit them, uh, their style of play with Larkin and uh, Anthony Manta. I like it. I agree there. I think Detroit... Uh, I, I agree with both of your, your statements. I think the Leafs with Josh Anderson would be outstanding. I think the fit would be perfect. You could put him maybe on that third line with Kerfoot. He can bring the size and Kerfoot can just bring the speed. Uh, but in terms of Detroit, I think anybody anybody would be a good fit in Detroit right now. They they need their help. Um, so I think that would be a good, a good option as well. But moving on, uh, Pinello, this guy is your boy. Uh, Arizona Coyotes defenseman OEL, number four on the trade bait board. He's 29 years old. Cap hit is relatively expensive, $8.25 million for seven more seasons. Can Arizona trade this contract away, or is this basically uh, OEL staying in Arizona? I think um, I, for a guy like Ekman Larson, you can definitely find a suitor. But for, yeah, that's, it's going to be a little risky. I don't know. You may have to retain some, but for a guy like that, I'm not too worried. He produces every year. He's one of the best offensive defensemen in the league. 
Um, there's never been any worry about him. He's always consistent. He always produces. Everyone knows who he is at this point. Um, I don't think he's locked in Arizona, but yeah, like it'll be a tough one to move. Yeah, that's tough because it was one of those deals where they wanted to keep him. They wanted to have that guy on their roster they can build around, especially with Doan leaving. But like $8 million, especially a team like Arizona, where you know if they retain any salary, there's a good chance they won't be really able to afford that. They're trying to cut salary, if anything. But it all depends on ownership. If they're willing to do that and they see a uh, potential in taking that risk, and uh, benefiting their team going forward. Depends who they get back. Uh, it's tough because Barrett Hayden, they're going to have to eventually give him money. Got Clayton Keller, who's uh, making a lot of money. So, yeah, that's a risky deal if you're going to go on trade for uh, Oliver Ekman Larson. I could see him on, um, I'm kind of looking at like Anaheim's situation. I feel like they would be a team if, because like you look at their defensive core and there's really, there's a lot of filler pieces here. And then and you look at the prospects and no one's really coming up. They're pretty locked on forward. So I could actually picture OEL in Anaheim for a little while and, and uh, growing with all those young players they got there. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point there. Uh, quickly want to discuss another guy who's a, who's not a free agent, but he has two years left at a relatively expensive cap hit, but he is a legend. Marc-Andre Fleury, he's not playing for Vegas. They went with Robin Leonard. Robin Leonard is actually also a free agent this year. So they have some uh, playing around to do, Vegas. Uh, do you guys see Marc-Andre Fleury potentially being dealt to his third team in his career? Or do you see them maybe keeping Marc-Andre Fleury and just seeing Robin Leonard walk? Take it, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's tough because Leonard... Hasn't really performed well when he's had a longer deal. Uh, he's only done well when he has a one-year deal and he has to perform if he wants that next contract. So uh, Vegas wants to go on that direction. He better be uh, all in on Robin Leonard because that could be a disaster going forward if he doesn't pan out after the second season. Uh, Flurry again, like Buffalo has to go after someone and uh, Flurry would be a good option. Give him some depth and net. Calgary, uh, another one finally hits on like one of these goalies and Edmonton. So it all depends on how much you want to go in and trade for a goalie, what the asking price is, because if the free agent market, you have Markstrom out there, maybe Leonard, if he doesn't want to re-sign with Vegas, uh, there's a lot of options out there for some people. So it's just going to come down to if they miss out on them, will you go after a plan B and bring in Flurry to your team? I don't know if it's just me, but I'm not 100% sold on Robin Leonard. I don't know if it's from his Buffalo days. I just never liked the guy. He seems to be a hothead. But now he seems to be putting it all together over the last little while, jumping from team to team. He hasn't really found a home consistently. I don't think it's going to be in Vegas. I think they're going to re-sign Flurry and keep the success that they've been having since they entered the fucking league. But for Robin Leonard, um, you know, the guy's in his late 20s. He's starting to pick it, pick it up now. He's starting to get everything together. So you know, hopefully he can find himself a long deal and uh, keep her going here. Uh, quickly, I want to talk one more team and then we'll talk more about the postseason. But uh, I want to quickly talk about the New Jersey Devils. Uh, they actually have a lot of work to do, I think, uh, in terms of an organizational standpoint. We all know, you know, they got Jack Hughes. They got Nico Heischer, two guys that are 
uh, under the age of 22, and they've already had two, well, a year plus in the league. And Nico Heischer, now this will be his fourth year next year already. Um, what do you guys expect from these two superstars or potential superstars in New Jersey? And do you think these two centermen can attract an, uh, an attractive winger in the market? 100%. I think everyone's looking at um, <clears throat> last year and seeing what Jack Hughes put up. And everyone's like, what the fuck can of happen? These kids were supposed to come out of the gate like Patty Kane and put up 35 goals in his first year. But, you know, these guys, they're both still very young. I think most people see Nico as a, a really good second-line center. But to have these two guys, 19 and, what, 21 years old going forward as your one and two centermen, that's definitely going to attract some wingers. And they're only going to get better as time goes on. So every opportunity there in New Jersey, they got the floor. Um I really hope that attracts people for sure. Oh, yeah. And they haven't played since March. So I fucking hope Hughes is uh, in the gym right now, pumping iron like the rock. Got the protein shakes going because uh, that's eight months off. I would hope when Hughes gets back on the ice, he is like in that mindset of being an elite player in the league, puts up numbers, uh, improvements in his game all around. He sure, same thing. Like take advantage. Especially, they're a team that could take advantage of this time off. Uh, one of the few teams that didn't make the playoffs. So from March until December, likely when the season starts, uh, I would hope that they've been on the ice constantly. Uh, there's some program there in New Jersey that they're working on with some of their young players to get them ready. So like that, when this season starts, they're ready to go and probably able to make them at least challenge for a wild card spot. Can you maybe see... The New Jersey Devils trading Kyle Paul Mary, who has one year left on his deal and maybe a potential first in this in this first round this year, because I know they have the ninth selection and the seventeenth selection. Can you see New Jersey maybe trading Paul Mary in a first for maybe Ealer's contract? Ooh. I don't even know if I do that if I'm the Devils. Paul Mary in a first? Yeah. Well, Palmieri has one year left, and he's at 4.65 mil. So, I don't know. That's up to them. I think if they need the cap space, you got to start thinking of contracts that, you know, are expiring and you want to maybe get move on. You know, Andy Green, I think, is a free agent, and that's huge because, thank God, uh, he, he's, he's 37, 38. He's got to retire. You have uh, Will Butcher's another guy that I, I think you could you could build him for the future, but his contract, I think, in the long run, he's going to ask for like six mil. And then there's the big question mark with P.K. Subban. Will he have that bad a season again next year? I really don't believe so. I think that was just an anomaly. I think he just had one of the worst puck luck type seasons I've ever seen. I don't see Subban being a Norris Trophy defenseman anymore, but I don't see him being like a 15-point guy. That's just not him. So um, if you're if you're New Jersey, do you – try and maybe take a gamble in trading Subban or do you just relatively keep them and keep the cap it for Subban for now? I'm holding on to PK. I am with you with last year being an anomaly. I don't like he's had 10 years of <clears throat> brilliance and then he just has a little hiccup and everyone's like, Oh yeah, Subban sucks now. So I think he'll be fine. If they're going to trade Paul Mary, just backtracking a little, I wouldn't do like a one for one. Like if you're going to trade that guy, I want a couple of picks back and maybe a prospect. Maybe on defense, because I'm looking at it now, and they got, I'm sorry, Chris, but fucking Matt Tennyson and Mueller and Dakota Mermis, like, that's not going to cut it. Severson's a solid player for them. 
Connor Carrick's still in the lead goalie scope, but like with the situation there, and I'm not giving up a pick to get a, a slightly better player than Paul Mary, which is Ehlers. I want like similar to what I said about some of the other guys. Give me a couple picks and give me a prospect because this is a guy that can put up 30 most years. Yeah, I'm going to Carolina with uh, that same one, Paul Mary. Uh, whatever defender you have over there that can slot in their lineup. Because uh, anybody in that top six on Carolina is a huge improvement over what New Jersey have right now. So uh, any of those guys, Carolina, I think it's a good fit for Kyle Palmieri. Uh, he'd be able to make it work there, adds what they need. Another goal-scoring uh, threat on the wing, a guy who can uh, play gritty at times. So uh, I think New Jersey and Carolina will be trade partners uh, whenever this free agency period opens. All right, guys. Well, that was awesome talking about trades and such, but I want to continue to talk about the playoffs. We got four teams remaining. We got the Lightning, the the Lightning and the Islanders, and we got the Vegas Golden Knights and the Dallas Stars. Before I talk about anything uh, relating to these teams, I want to quickly talk about what a run Nathan McKinnon had with the Colorado Avalanche, putting up 25 points. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on Nathan McKinnon, and what are your ceilings? What is the ceiling for this guy moving forward? Is he a top three player? Is he the best player? Where is he in in your rankings? I got him. Uh, I got him like him and McDavid, very similar to like how people viewed Crosby and Ovechkin. That's kind of how I view the next generation. So I have him like top two, I guess, with him and McDavid. But um, yeah, just seeing what he did this playoffs. The, the kids, he's coming to life if he hasn't already. Like, we've seen him put up 90 points a few years in a row, but every time he's hit the postseason since those 90-point years, he just continues to take over and continues to go to the next gear. So putting up 24, 25 points after just being bounced in the second round, that is incredible. I expect him to continue to do this going forward and to continue to be one of the best players in the league for the next 10, 15 years. Yeah, McKinnon's a bust, right? <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I remember when he came in the league and they had him on the fourth line. It used to piss me off just watching that. Like, this guy is so skilled. They had him on the fourth line. He was way better than that. I think their team probably would have been more successful. You would have saw more uh, playoff success for McKinnon and Colorado if they put him on the wing or even put him in a top six role right away when they first made that playoff run when they had Stasny and Duchesne and him. So, uh, yeah, this is just... Uh, he's proving how good he is. He's worthy of that number one overall pick when he got selected. Uh, there was no controversy there. I know that everyone was saying, oh, Seth Jones is going to go number one that year. And he ended up falling to Nashville. Uh, ever since he came in, he's had this hype, living up to it now. I think uh, McKinnon's number two in the league. I don't see him passing McDavid yet. I just think McDavid's still too good. Uh, but easily number two. I think he passed Crosby. Uh, right now in the league and uh, I think going forward it's going to be like Piniello mentioned it's going to be McDavid McKinnon and then whoever comes up after that it's all up for debate maybe it's a Matthews if he's able to get that next gear going that we know he has I think he'll be in that mix and maybe Jack Eichel so uh, a lot of young players finally living up to their potential which is good Uh, another guy that (laughs) is living up to the potential big time, is a guy named Kale McCarr. Uh, This guy, 
a great defenseman, but like he just he brings that different type of energy, that different type of game on the back end. What I see from him offensively is scary. I think this guy could be an Eric Carlson. Uh, when you think of points, I could see him getting around 70 points as soon as maybe even next year. If he's on the power play all year with McKinnon and Rantanen and Landis Cog. Give give Makar. He might lead. The, he might lead the league in defensive scoring. I mean, he's just that special. Uh, what were your guys' thoughts on Kale Makar this postseason? Uh, also with Quinn Hughes, both these guys are just going to be outstanding defensemen in this league. Uh, I'll start, I guess, with Pinello. What are your initial thoughts on Kale Makar, and what do you think this guy's ceiling is? Love Kale Makar. So impressed with him. Like. like- I think everyone's in the same boat where everyone knew he was good and every, everything was there, but no one thought he'd be this good this fast. And like it, it, that dates back to last year's playoffs and the thing he did against San Jose. So like the kids already, he looks like a 10 year vet. He's so poised back there. He controls the play Him and McKinnon play off each other. So well on the power play, pretty much what you said, he, he might lead the, the league in scoring for a defenseman one day. It could be as soon as next year the situation he's in so that core they got over there is something special um they got guys on their rookie deals mckinnon still making six million a year for another three years like everything is it's all peaches over there so if you're an abs fan go fuck yourself <laughs> yeah I, I agree with everything you said there and just their defensive core it's works so well where i wouldn't actually be surprised if we see tyson berry go there for like a minimum salary like a one million two million dollar deal just to fuck over the leafs even more uh i just see that whole like their puck movement off the back end is it works so well for them in the style of play back to mckinnon and ranting in so uh they're gonna be good a lot better next year i think this year, adjusting to Kadri in the lineup, that different style of play that he brings, uh, it's going to be good for them. They're positioned well in the salary cap. So, uh, yeah, they're going to be a contender for a while. Uh, wow, you guys just uh, keep rolling with it. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts now on uh, Nazem Kadri? I mean, this, was, this is always a painful topic to talk about because of the whole Tyson Berry trade, Kerfoot and Berry for, for Kadri. Uh, at first, I thought we were, maybe, we maybe could have won the trade with Barry. I thought my outlook for him was about 55 points this year, and I think he had about 34. So he definitely did not deliver. And then there's this guy, Nazem Kadri, who has 18. He had 18 points in the postseason. Uh, I think for goals, he was up there as well. Uh, I don't really know how many he had. I think he had eight or nine. Yeah, it says he has nine. He had nine goals. Ridiculous stats. Uh how do you guys value Nazem Kadri now as a player after looking at this playoff run he had with the Colorado Avalanche? Uh, for me, not a whole lot changes. He's like that. He's a, he's a real, real good second-line center. He's a feisty guy. He'll get you. He might be a 30-and-30 30 30 guy, depending on who else is around you. Maybe not anymore because he's playing behind Nate Laniscog and Miko. But, you know, for their lineup, he fits perfectly. He slots it perfectly in that second-line spot. He can carry the line by himself. They use him on the power play the same way they used him with the Leafs, where they just set him up in front of the net. I thought he's he's been amazing in Colorado. He had a great postseason. Um, that, yeah, they definitely won that deal because Barry did not do an ounce of shit over here. So I love Nas. I miss him. I thought he was solid. Very happy he didn't get suspended this postseason. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I, I like him as a player. Everything's good. Don't get me wrong. But when you look at the Leafs, he's a liability in the playoffs because they're playing Boston. You know how that series would always go. And he's eventually going to get suspended. So the Leafs, I think they saw the value in trading him. Of course, they wanted to go better for with uh, Barry and Kerfoot. didn't work in their favor, but uh, having him in the lineup when you know that's going to probably be a matchup year in and year out with Boston, it is a liability to have. So I get why they traded him. Not too mad about it. He was a good player, but uh, in Colorado, it's different scenery. He can be that second-line player over there where uh, maybe go on the power play once in a while like we saw, but... Uh, I see we like I agree with Pinello. He's a second line center to me. I don't see him being that elite number one center on your team. Now I'm going to do this segment here, and I think it's going to be very fun for everyone. Based on these four defensemen that have absolutely broken out in this postseason, between Quinn Hughes, Shea Theodore, Miro Heiskanen, and Kale McCarr, who do you guys think is the most important to their team, and who do you think will be the best? Out of all four of these young defensemen. Ooh, most important. I'll go I'll go Miro Heiskinen for most important. Just because um out of all of those guys, he's the guy that has to like close out games and play half the game and shut down teams' top players as well as also playing the power play. So Dallas basically threw him right into the fire. I know they got John Klingberg, but you can already tell when you're watching the Dallas Stars game that Miro Heiskanen is the guy and will be for a very, very long time. I don't think there's a wrong answer here, but for me, I'll go with Miro Heiskanen on that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's tough, though. Like I think all of them are important in different ways. I'm going to go with Heiskanen, too, being more important. Just looking at Dallas, when you have Ben, who hasn't really lived up to his contract the past few years, Klingberg has to fucking go in and put up points. So when you have that guy going up, it kind of leaves you uh, exposed a little bit on defense. So Heisken has to be relied on to come in and shut down while Klingberg is picking up the slack for Ben. Uh, so I'll go Heisken being the more important. Going forward, though, who I think is going to be the best, uh, I'm going to go with Quinn Hughes. I think uh, when it's all said and done, I see Quinn Hughes being uh, one of the best, if not the, the best, like top two. Uh, I see him being somewhere in the top five. I like it. Uh, just quickly want to talk about Miro Heiskanen and how ridiculous he's been. He has 21 points right now. They're not even in the conference. I mean, they're not even in the Stanley Cup finals yet, and this guy's already at 21 points. He has more points than any forward on Dallas and like Pinello said, he has to be shutting down the best players on a nightly basis, playing about 25 and a half minutes a game. So uh, this guy is potentially a Conn Smythe candidate right now. Um, what, what are your guys' initial thoughts on, on the way that the, the, these playoffs are kind of panned out? I mean, I know after the qualifying rounds, it was kind of up for grabs for many teams. I thought Carolina had a pretty good chance in beating Boston, and it didn't happen. Um, what are your guys' thoughts with the four teams left? Um, out of the four teams, who do you think is the favorite? And uh, who out of all guys has really stood out? I'll, I guess I'll just quickly say that I think Braden Point has solidified himself as arguably a number one center in this league. doesn't matter what team. Uh, I think at times you could even say he's better than Stamkos right now. And uh, GMs definitely would not disagree with that. So, 
For me, I'm going to go with Braden Point being probably the most surprising. He's absolutely taken over since the uh, second round has started. I think he's had 15 points in the last eight games. So I'm going to go with Braden Point. I'll go with, uh, I don't know, most surprising, but Matt Barzell really stands out to me. This guy is only, he's in his third year. He's playing top line minutes ever since he got into the league. He had big playoff success last year. And then, you know, with Tavares leaving and he really had to take more the load, he's really been that number one guy from them. Like a, everyone does it by committee kind of thing, but that's your superstar. He's only 21 years old. He's been amazing. Uh, I don't know his stats in the playoffs. I'm just going to cut the shit with you there. But every time I watch him, the guy just blows me away. They're in the conference finals yet again. So you got to give the Islanders some love. Yeah, I'm going to go with Barzell too. I think what he's doing with the supporting cast he has and what uh, Braden Point is doing, I think it's a little bit more impressive, just slightly. Uh, no one expected the Islanders, I don't think, to go to this far. Uh, Barry Trotz is doing an amazing job with what he has. So we'll never hear the end of it if they end up uh, finding a way to go to the final and winning the cup because of Tavares. But uh, you got to give credit where it's due there. And I see Barzell standing up more. I like it. Uh, I, I, I do agree with, with Barzell and, uh, you know, him coming in the league, we all expect, I remember when we were doing our fantasy draft and Barzell was kind of there, but we weren't really sure how, how important he was to the organization at the time. And we're like, okay, this guy, what was he? I think 13th overall, you know, we don't really know what his ceiling could be. And then bam, he comes in the league and he absolutely dominated from day one. And, uh, again, I, I do agree with you guys in terms of supporting cast. Like he has line mates in Everly and Brock Nelson, where Point has Kucherov. So I'll give I'll give that uh, I'll give the edge. I guess like, that's a good point. But Barzell, like time and time again, from what I see from him, is just flashes of just off at like he, he, when I look at Matt Barzell play, he is the only player on that team that brings. Hit, that brings that type of game in, in, in New York. When you look at New York, you, you think of like a, a team-oriented defensive game, and then you just look at Matt Barzell, and when he goes on the ice, and you're just in awe of how offensively gifted he is. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, there's really no one else on this team that can play like Matt Barzell. I mean, Jordan Eberle, he has his moments. Josh Bailey has his moments of, you know, feeding the puck Anders Lee. Few, uh, former 40 goal scorer. So th they, their their team is relatively great, but no one brings that offensive consistency like Matt Barzell. So I do agree with you guys there. But I want to ask you guys, out of the four teams remaining, what's your final? I'm, gonna, I'm going Tampa Bay and the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. Uh Got the same one. Uh, just, uh, it's going to be tough, though. More on the Dallas and Vegas side. I don't know what the hell it is about Dallas, but I see that one going long. And uh, Vegas, an expansion team. Imagine them winning the cup, and the Leafs are still in a drought. So they're going to two finals. And uh, the amount of years they've been in the league and winning a cup, pretty interesting. I, I also have Tampa Bay and Vegas in the finals. And the reason being is you look at Tampa Bay and I look at game one 
and you win in a big statement game, 8-2 like that. And Vasilevsky, just when I thought his inconsistencies would maybe bite them in the ass, he's probably been one of the most consistent goalies in this postseason. I don't have any faith in Varlamov or Grice for the Islanders going uh, moving forward with the offensive game in in Tampa Bay. I mean, man, they even have guys like Palat and Maroon who are absolutely going off. So I don't know if they have really any answer for them. I know Barzell, like you guys said, can put up maybe four in one game and get them a win. But other than that, I, I don't really see the Islanders even maybe winning a game. Uh, I know that sounds bad, but I could like, just think of the, the, the route that Tampa's gone. They've, they killed Boston. They won four straight against Boston after losing game one. And then they, uh, they beat, they beat. Okay. Well, Columbus was tired after the Leafs, but they, they made quick effort of Columbus as well. So um, I think Tampa Bay is going to win this in four or five games. And I think they're going to win the Stanley cup this year. Can we just picture for a second a Dallas versus New York Islanders final? What would the reaction be? Doesn't that just look so weird? I think I think that's one of the least marketable finals I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> uh, they weren't have to worry about selling tickets. Nobody there. <laughs> Now's the time. I mean, at that point, that's when people might start saying, oh, is it rigged? Like the one year there's no fans, it's like the least marketable final ever. Like, I don't know. I don't see, like, if that's the case, like, I don't, like, then they, they hit a home run last year in free agency, Dallas. If they go to the finals, like, they, 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 they took a gamble on signing Pavelski. They took a gamble on signing Perry. Like, Radulov, I thought, was was on the decline. Jamie Ben seems like he's on the decline, but yet they're all somehow managing to get it together. And, and Gudobin, I don't know what the hell is going on with that guy, but he's outplaying Ben Bishop. It's a crazy world we're living in right now. So I, if, if it was Dallas and the Islanders, I'd kind of just laugh and be like, yeah, you know, it's 2020, anything can happen, but I really don't see that being the final. For real, though, like it's good on Dallas, though, for real, because Ben and Sagan have been the heart and soul there for so long. And everyone talks about year after year how Dallas disappoints or they'll just like they'll just miss the playoffs or they'll get bounced in the first round. And Ben and Sagan have to put up with that shit year after year. So to see them go this far already, pretty happy for them. I think it's also um, I think it's also important to value Heisken into after oh, yeah. all this, because like. Missing that one piece, like you said, Sagan and Ben have been running it, at least offensively, they've been running it for like seven years now there. And then to just have a guy fall in your lap third overall three years ago, hiking in, and then, you know, the first year he didn't play and they still were relatively successful. And then all of a sudden this guy starts playing and it's like, holy shit, okay, Klingberg, he can maybe have a little bit of a rest. We'll We'll go with this guy for now and then. Everything just started clicking from from Heiskanen to Klingberg all the way to even a guy like a Lindell. Um, everything was clicking for them, and I'm very happy for them as well. And then you talk about a guy who, I've, like, Pinello, I got to bring this guy up because he's had a hell of a postseason. Denis Gurianov, when this guy got drafted, we were laughing because we had no idea that this guy would be relatively great because, you know, coming from the KHL, or the MHL, wherever he was, it's kind of hard to envision a Russian 
that's going to, you know, be loyal to the NHL stay. And like, look what happened with Nishushkin. So like we, we had that, I guess, creeping in our minds. And then Gurianov right now has nine goals in this postseason, And I think this year he had almost 30 goals. So now this is where you start thinking of guys that they've drafted the last couple of years. And yes, you know, they went out and they got Pavelski and yes, they went out and they got Corey Perry. But like these guys in Gurianov and Heiskanen, these guys are really, really valued to this team. And I'm super, super happy for them because this is a team that I've said for so long that, yes, they're a threat, but how big of a threat are they? I don't really see them ever going far. Kind of like how San Jose has been over the years, kind of like Nashville over the years, but they finally gotten over that hump. So I guess my answer to that uh, in them going this far, I got to say it's probably because of Heiskanen and Gurianov and maybe even a guy like a Rue Pince. Those guys have been huge for them. So I'll, I'll say that those three are big time players for them. Love it. But now we got to move on. We got to go to the who? We got to go to the court. Uh, guys, game five came and went, and the Raptors got absolutely torched. And uh, I want to quickly discuss Jalen Brown. I knew he would have a bounce back game. We all knew game four was going to be an anomaly. He never shoots that bad. Uh, what were your guys' thoughts on the Celtics' backcourt? And uh, what do you think the Raptors have to do in game six to uh, be successful over the, Buc- uh, over the Celtics? Take it, buddy. I'm going to be optimistic. Uh, I don't want to jinx it, but I'm just going to say make your threes. Uh, put your team in a position where you can rebound the ball offensively. Uh, we saw a little bit too much uh, butterfinger type play there on the rebounds, slipping out of their hands. Grab the ball, take it to the rim, shoot a three when you can, and make that shot. Don't play hero ball, and hopefully it'll all work in your favor. So uh, I'm going to be optimistic about this game and uh, go Raptors, go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was basically going to say something very similar. Their shots just got to start falling. It's like it's out of your control sometimes, but there will be games where I think Fred went like three for 15 from three one game. And then Pascal tries to do everything himself, but he's, you know, he's not used to being the number one guy. So he'll try to rush all the plays. They just need to do what they've done over the last few years and just keep building that chemistry. Take it one play at a time. They got to pull up. They got to make their threes. That's the big thing. And like, is Serge, Serge is questionable tonight. That's another that may cost us the game right there because Mark's going to have to play 35 minutes and Mark doesn't, doesn't make a fucking three-pointer. So their shots just got to fall. That's all I got to say. I mean, I'll, I guess I'll chime in too. Um, what I saw in game five was just forced threes and we all know the perimeter defending of Marcus Smart is elite. He will be a pest. He will flail his arms. He'll do whatever he can to aggravate guys like Van Fleet and Lowry. And we kind of saw in game five, as the game kind of went on, Lowry and Ibaka were kind of bickering at each other. And the, the chemistry just looked off. So I think they, they got to be cool-headed. I think in this game, they know that it's an elimination game. Just try and stay as focused as you can. If I'm the Raptors, I am trying my hardest to give the ball to OG Ananobi as much as I can because I think out of all the players in this series, 
He's been the most consistent, and he's probably been the hottest guy in and around the basket as well. Um, defensively, he's he's a dime. He's amazing. But again, like like you said, Pinello, with Serge Ibaka questionable tonight, that just changes the whole game plan. I mean, are you going to play Boucher for 25 minutes? Are you going to play Mark for 35? Are you going to go with small ball for a bit? Are you going to put... You know, are you going to put OG at the four? Like, I don't really know what to expect with this lineup. I mean, do you play uh, uh, Hollis Jefferson more now tonight? I mean, I don't know if Nick Nurse has a lot of faith in him, but do you maybe go with a, a Hollis Jefferson? I, that, to me, like, you even look at two games ago with Serge Ibaka. He went four of four from three. And Marcus Gasol, I think, in this series is like O of 11 from three. So... I do agree with you guys. Uh, the the three point shot has to go down if they want to be successful. But other than that, I mean, relatively, I thought I think it's been a pretty close series. I mean, both teams have played pretty well defensively, and uh, I think it's it's the team that's going to be hot, and they're going the, whoever is hot, they're going to win the game. And I think the Raptors have to come out firing on all cylinders, kind of like how the Nuggets Clippers games have been to start. And uh, I think if if Siakam if he can get some confidence in this game, start dropping some shots, then that's also another big factor. But I also want to quickly move on, talk about Nuggets, Clippers, yeah. because, wow, I, they came back from 3-1, the, the Nuggets. I don't think Pinello was on the podcast when we talked about the Nuggets and the Jazz. That was absolutely phenomenal between Murray and Mitchell. So I guess, uh, Pinello, I guess I'll quickly start with what are your thoughts on Denver? Do you see them being a threat? Uh, I thought you were going somewhere else with that. <laughs> uh, this will be uh, like a 6-7 game series I kind of anticipated. Jamal Murray's been playing. Sorry, boys. Jamal Murray has just been lights out since, um, since the bubble started. Him and Jokic have been carrying the way. Your boy Michael Porter Jr. has been stepping in. He's been electric since this, uh, since coming into the bubble. Similar to like the first round series with the Mavs, like it'll just be a tough out. I think they're definitely going to test them. But if I have to guess now, I'd say the Clippers in seven. But this is definitely a fun one. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is uh, Clippers in seven, and I do think I don't know. There's something about Denver that gives the Clippers problems. I think it's Jokic's play. Uh, we saw Montrez Carroll, what he was able to do to him, and uh, that's a defensive player uh, who's really good in those situations. So what Jokic has been able to do to him and that mismatch is uh, giving Denver some life. Then you got Jamal Murray outside shooting threes. He's playing really well. Uh, I do see Kawhi, though, stepping up big later on as it goes on this series. Uh, Paul George needs to step up, I think, a little more. Because uh, you can't rely too much, like with having Kawhi there and then Harrell and Patrick Beverly's not going to get it done for you. So uh, Paul George is going to have to take over one of these games if they really want a shot at closing them out early. But uh, this is something where Denver's going to push them to their limit. But I think the Clippers still come out on top. I like it. Uh, I, I do. I have. I. I mean, I don't think it's going to be as close as you guys said. I, I say Clippers six games. I think Paul George is going to figure it out next game and moving forward. I think this guy, even last game, I'm pretty sure he dropped 30 points in the win. And 
yeah, you know, Kawhi was the story with the with the block on on Jamal Murray late in the game, but I'm pretty sure Paul George was made, was the offensive key in that game. He dropped 30 points. I think Kawhi dropped 25. So um, Paul George, I'm not really worried about. I think I'm more worried about Jokic if I'm the Clippers because uh, what we saw from Jokic the first two games is absolutely amazing. And uh, we all know that this guy's a top three center in the league. Uh, I don't even know if you put him at center now because he looks like he looks like a point guard out there with how skinny he is and the way he just the way he passes the pill is amazing. Um, but I, I do think I do think that that the Clippers are going to win this one. I think they're going to win in six. I think they're going to figure it out even more defensively. I think they're going to find a way to shut down Jokic at some point. But, man, as long as you have those two deadly wings and George and Kawhi moving and, and rolling, they're they're a favorite to win it all. So I'm going to go with the Clippers in six here. But I really do agree with everything you guys have said with the Nuggets. Even if it's a tough out, they know that they have a bright future ahead with Porter Jr., Jokic, and Jamal Murray. I think they're I think they're not worried with at least the future. Mike Malone's a great coach. So moving forward, I think Denver's in good hands, but I think they just ran into a really tough matchup in, in the Clippers here. But moving on, we got big, 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 big news. We got the we got the Milwaukee Bucks getting eliminated in five games over the Miami Heat. I guess I'll start with you, Alino. Are you surprised with this? Yeah, I'm actually I, I didn't think it'd be like I don't know. There's something about this, like a five game. I think Milwaukee was good enough where they could have beaten Miami, even if Giannis was hurt. So I was really caught off guard by that. Uh, Miami with Jimmy Butler leading them. It looks like a completely different team. They've been uh, following uh, their style of play. Haven't gotten too against that. Uh, they stuck to the game plan and they close out Milwaukee. So this is a huge surprise in the East. And now you're looking at Miami as a team that, if you're the Raptors and you get by the Boston Celtics, like this is a real realistic opportunity to repeat here and go to the finals again. I think they're a better matchup against Miami than what Milwaukee was. Milwaukee just has something that I don't know what it is against Miami. Just Miami, the tools they had there was a matchup nightmare, I think, for Milwaukee. And I think the Raptors match up better against Miami than they do Milwaukee. So this is something you have to get by Boston. Uh, to get there, and uh, I just see a nice conference final now where we don't have to hear about the dominance of the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty surprised. Like everyone was saying the whole year, Miami's going to be the toughest matchup for Milwaukee, and we're all like, yeah, but at the same time, Bucks in seven or six or whatever. And then the series started, and it was just, wow, they shut him down the way Toronto shut him down last year. And it really just, it didn't seem fair at times. They were just suffocating them. And then even in game four, when he went out of the game and they ended up winning, which I thought was hilarious because their entire fucking system was designed to shut down Giannis and it worked to a T. So it's all done by committee there. Jimmy Butler's going to close the game every time. But, you know, Crowder's been amazing. Bam's been solid. Uh, Drogic really stepped up in game five. So they got a lot of pieces in Miami. And yeah, I got to give them some credit. I think a lot of people forget how deep this team is too. Like you talk about when you talk about teams that are really deep in this league, you know, the Raptors are always mentioned. The Celtics uh, are okay. Deep, like depth wise, but it's when we talk about depth, it's usually the Clippers and the Raptors that have been discussed, but man, Miami might be 
uh, one of the deepest teams that I've ever seen. I mean, you have Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Dragic, and Olenek. I'm pretty sure they're all coming in off the bench. If if they're not, I know Duncan Robinson is starting. Maybe you have Hero, Igudala, Crowder. All those guys are coming in off the bench. Crowder, though, to me, was one of the best pickups that Miami could have done. Everyone talks about, you know, the Igudala, you know, signing, uh, you know, sign and trade, and they get him, and it was a great you know, veteran type move for them. You know, he was, for goodness sake, five years ago, he was a finals MVP. So good for Miami on getting Udala. But for me, the move that stands out is getting Jay Crowder. And Crowder, he won't wow you offensively. Like he'll put up maybe like at most like 19 in a game. But his perimeter defending and what he did in the series to shut down Giannis was absolutely incredible. There were times where he had to guard Giannis. He had to guard even Brooke Lopez and even Middleton at times. And he shut all of them down. It w- between Crowder, Igudala, and Butler, they did such a tremendous job defensively. And you even have to give Bam Adebayo credit. Um, for me, other than Ingram, this guy's the most improved player in the league. And yeah, I agree with you guys. I, I was kind of surprised that Miami beat them in five games. But now that I'm looking at their roster... This team is scary, and this team is real. I would not be surprised if this team went to the finals. If they, uh, let's just say the Raptors squeeze by, though, do you really think this is a uh, favorable matchup for Toronto? Because Miami beat us two games to one in this season. I think right now there's not really any way that it could be favorable for the Raptors. I think Miami right now may even be the best team in the playoffs. When I look at what they've done against us. Uh, like they they beat they beat down the Pacers where we about a month ago were saying that could even be a seven game series. They swept them with ease, and then they took on the the, the Bucks and they just ate them. So, uh, uh, Pinello, you have to remember this team has lost one game in the postseason, and what they're doing offensively is ridiculous. You you have like. They're cut. They remind me of the Raptors last year, except Jimmy Butler is not at Kawhi's level. He's maybe a, a, a level under that because, man, you got to look at it. Olenek has dropped 20 at least once in this postseason. Dragic has dropped 20, I think, twice. Duncan Robinson, I think, has dropped 23 times. Tyler Hero's dropped 20, I think, two times. Jimmy Butler has dropped 20 like three times. So this team is deep when it comes to scoring. You'll have like two or three guys drop 20 in a game. And that's exactly what the Raps did last year. If you look at game six, the final game in last year's postseason, I think you saw four Raptors have 20 points in that game. So right now, I think Miami is the team that I, I don't want to face Miami. And uh, I, I, still ha- I think I still have the Raptors maybe beating them in seven games. But Miami is a team to watch out for, for sure. Yes, sir. But now we got to talk about that last series over there. We got the Rockets and the Lakers. Uh, I guess we'll start this with Alino. Alino, between Harden and Westbrook and Davis and LeBron, who do you think is going to overcome who? And who is the X factor in this series? Yeah, just what I saw last night, I think the Lakers are going to take it now. Uh, I see why Houston fans have been frustrated the last couple of years. When you see the amount of threes that the Rockets gave away there, they had this game won. They let it slip through their fingers, and the Lakers took advantage and won back-to-back now. Uh, I liked how Houston played the first game. Harden played great in all three. It's just Westbrook. 
after that second game, he needed to readjust. He did that in game three. It's just a supporting cast and make their shots when they needed to at the end and crunch time. So unfortunately for Houston, I see this going uh, the Lakers way. I don't see how they're going to take this, even if it gets to seven games. Uh, they have to be a lot more consistent with their threes. They don't have a center that can really match up with Davis. It's just P.J. Tucker that's asking way too much out of him. And uh, that was their opportunity last night to go ahead and get some leverage. So. I think the Lakers take it, and it's just going to be, what are you going to do in the offseason? Because I don't know if you can have Westbrook and Harden uh, return again after another year. Give me the Lakers in seven. This is very similar to their first-round matchup after playing a uh, dynamic backcourt with Lillard and McCollum and then going a step over with Harden and Westbrook. But, um, yeah, Russ has got to start making some shots. They were, oh my, I saw a play yesterday where they were just daring him to shoot, and he had the wide-open three and just not even close so but you know what the x factor i will say is danny green because he's not really doing that you know that's their main guy from three and he's putting up two to six points a game and he's playing 20 to 30 minutes it's just not enough like um lebron and davis are obviously going to show up kuzma's supposed to be that third wheel he'll chip in here and there but like if danny green's not hitting threes you know that that's the guy for me that's gotta consistently show up more like it. I got I got the Lakers in six. I think this is another series that after what I saw, game one, game two, very close. But man, like yesterday, LeBron James dropping 38 points and seeing what he did. And even Anthony Davis, when you have a I was telling my brother, when you have a guy like Anthony Davis on your team, uh, you you have that ability to even limit it's crazy. I'm gonna say this. You have the ability to limit LeBron James's minutes in the fourth quarter. I mean, I, we saw yesterday, I'm pretty sure LeBron, he, he didn't play four minutes four minutes in the fourth. And when he came back in, he just, he looked rejuvenated and he looked rested and he just dominated. So I think if the Lakers and Frank Vogel keep bringing that game plan where you can maybe sit LeBron four minutes in the fourth quarter, you can rely on a Markeith Morris, a Kuzma, and maybe even an AD on the court. Uh, I think that's an absolute big game changer for them. As long as the King is rested, I think this is a wash of a series. I love James Harden. He had a great game yesterday. He almost had a triple-double. Westbrook, even yesterday, played much better than he did in Game 2. But I still think this duel between Anthony Davis and LeBron James is by far the best in the league. And they're, they're going to show it, I think, in this series. I still have the Lakers and the Celtics going to the finals uh, after everything's said and done. But... This this one is this is going to be a, a fun ride to the finals because you have, you know, Paul George is finally stepping up. Kawhi Leonard, that's a great duo. Can James Harden and Russell Westbrook really beat LeBron James and Anthony Davis? I mean, it is 2-1. Anything can happen, but uh, it's going to be very, very fun, especially now with Miami waiting between the Celtics and the Raps. I think that series could easily go seven games. But, guys... I'm going to say it just like I did with the NHL. If you guys had to predict a final right now with all the situations that have happened, what's your final? Started, bud. <laughs> I'm going to still hope and uh, go for Clippers and Raptors. I think that's a, that's a draw. If you're a TV network, it just writes itself. Kawhi taking on the Raptors. The Raptors going out to prove that they can get it done without them. What better way to do it than in a bubble in the Disney lot? So let's do it. 
Yeah, so I got the same thing for the same reasons. It's <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's the fan in me, Toronto versus the Clippers. But if you're, if you're asking my serious opinion, I'll go Clippers and Boston. All right. I like that. I got Lakers and Celtics. I think that's still going to happen. I think Jason Tatum is an absolute machine. I don't know if... Because, man, you got to remember, like, this guy trained with Kobe. If this guy unleashes his, you know, inner Mamba mentality in game six tonight, I don't know. It might be over for the Raptors. But anything is possible. Anything can happen. I still think it's pretty crazy that none of us have acknowledged the heat to go to the finals. Uh, What do they got to do to get respect around here? I don't really know. But uh, I do imagine the heat beating the Lakers in the final with – Spolstra and Pat Riley, the dancing they would do in LeBron's face. Oh yeah, that's, <laughs> that would be awesome. That that would be that's when you start making that comparison with the Jimmy Butler Miami run. Is it is it like greater than the run that they had with the Heatles? Because this Jimmy Butler that we've seen, I I I don't think I've ever seen a a player more motivated than than Jimmy Butler right now. I mean. Was it game one or game two? He dropped 17 points, or not game one. I think it was game three or game four against the Bucks. He dropped 17 points in the quarter, in the fourth quarter, and the Bucks dropped all only of 13. So Jimmy Butler, like, if he takes over in the fourth quarter, like, it's over. So I, I think, you know, the Heat, yes, you know, none of us think they're going to go, that they're going to go to the finals, but. If they do, I am not surprised at all. They deserve all the recognition and all the respect that they've gotten, especially Jimmy Butler, because a year and a half ago, everyone's bashing him, saying, you know, no one can really coach this guy. Um, He's a coach killer. You know, everywhere he goes, he causes a stir. But when you look at it in the long run, I think he's just trying to be the best teammate he can be. And uh, now that a lot of people are starting to realize that, they put respect on Jimmy B's name. So... Um, nothing but love for the Heat. Nothing but love for this playoffs. Uh, let's keep enjoying watching this, and uh, we'll see who uh, who ends up pulling through in the long run. But Alino, I'll now pass this to you. Uh, if you want to talk about wrestling, take it away, buddy. Okay, let's uh, let's just go to AEW, I guess. Uh, had all out, and uh, one of the big stories that they had was uh, Kenny Omega finally turning. On Hangman Page, they did a little swerve there instead of Hangman, who they've been uh, teasing for a while to be the one to turn. Ends up being Kenny, and then he said, uh, he basically kind of put it out there, he might be bringing the cleaner into AEW, going back to that character. The Young Bucks might be turning heel as well, so what are your thoughts on this direction of having the Elite be heels and Kenny bringing back the cleaner? I like when the young bucks go heel. I can never really take them seriously. They're just a bunch of little kids. But uh, for Kenny, I love it. Um, you know, everyone's been saying for a while. Yeah, everyone's was expecting Paige to turn and to have Kenny do it, throw, kind of throwing everybody off. But yeah, I guess he needed a little spark in his character. If you're going to bring back the cleaner, which everyone loved in New Japan and ROH, you know, that'll that'll definitely spice things up and it'll get him going over there. So um, if the young bucks turn with him. I may start tuning in more consistently again. Yeah, I agree with that as well. I think uh, Kenny had to turn heel. I've been saying it for, like, since AEW started, I thought Kenny Omega would be the highlight reel. He'd be their guy there, and he hasn't been. So I think now with him becoming the cleaner again, maybe he can be the AEW champion. 
sooner rather than later. Uh, but in terms of Hangman Page, uh, if that guy were to turn heel, I really don't know what his value would be to the company. I know he'd be, uh, he would be still a top tier guy, but I think Kenny Omega turning heel is is the bigger it's the bigger story and and i'm happy that they went with kenny being the heel because kenny has a face you know you all like him but like i think he just has a lot more to offer as a heel same with the young bucks i mean you know they came out and they were you know being you know all kind of i, I don't know i thought they were kind of bland as faces the young bucks so it's kind of good to see you know again you're taking on jurassic express that team doesn't get any more freaking baby face than that so um they're they're the baby faces there um but nick jackson and and them and you know they did their thing jungle boy is the definition of a baby face luchasaurus obviously he looks like a heel just the way he looks but he's not so uh, i'm kind of happy that the young bucks are they turned heel again they got the win and uh yeah if, if the young bucks and kenny omega maybe turned like they, they do kind of like what the inner circle did except to a lesser extent i'm all in for that for sure yeah Chris, people, um, yeah, yeah, go. No, no, go ahead, Peniel. I was just gonna say it was. Um, it's kind of hard to picture the Young Bucks as, as heels taking on FTR as the faces. It's just kind of funny how things work out that way. That's all. I was just gonna throw that in. I was about to ask that too. Like when you see the Young Bucks, can you take them seriously as faces? Like, did they do a, the right move there by even bringing them in as a face? For me, just because like like these good christian boys and everyone knows about them so whenever they try to act like assholes i just i kind of start laughing like i kind of said before but like i enjoy it whenever they do their heel shtick and to see them with uh with with a uh, fucking dash and wilder formerly known as it's going to be an exciting dynamic with the four of them yeah yeah that's going to be ridiculously awesome um i'm trying to remember when they faced uh the Luchador, what, what, no, what the hell were they called? The Lucha Bros. <laughs> they faced the Luchadors. <laughs> when they faced the Lucha Bros, were they the heels there? The Young Bucks? Or was Pentagon and uh, were they the heels? Because I, I, I don't know. I kind of thought that maybe the Young Bucks were the heels there. I don't even know if that was established at the time because it was their first pay-per-view and everything was so, you remember the build to it? It was, yeah. it was just the best tag team. Who's the best tag team? That was the only thing. Oh, yeah. Like, who? Like no baby face, no heels. They want it to be like a legitimate sport. It's like everyone chooses who the faces and heels are. Like, they just cheer, but they weren't going to have any faces and heels. That lasted like one month, but good for them for trying it. Uh, and I don't know about... <laughs> yeah. And then the Canadian Destroyers off ladders, with them popping up like nothing happened, super kick to the face choreographed jump dive out the floor and uh then they pop up again grab the belt and uh that was the end of the day uh but speaking of belts john moxley's title reign uh took another victim mjf uh chris what do you think of uh, mjf taking a loss and should they end this reign long ago um I kind of I love the way that they made MJF look. I thought it probably couldn't have gone better than it did, at least in his first big marquee championship match with John Moxley. I'm not a huge fan of Moxley, especially the last kind of year. I like don't get me wrong, like he's a great performer and all that, but there's just times where I look at his character and I look at the situation that he's in and I just feel like he's not like 
he's not given it to the best of his ability. I feel like he's kind of he's kind of on par with like how he is and like he's just kind of floating. You know what I mean? He just kind of floats around. Kind of like he kind of reminds me of a 2012 Randy Orton right now where he's kind of just going through the motions. He's still getting handed titles, but he's going through the motions right now. And uh, I'm actually kind of surprised that they they had MJF lose clean. I, again, though, I, I said it to you, Alino, I think last week or two weeks ago. I think it's too soon for him to get an AEW championship match, but um, I guess they had to do it. They had to go all in with MJF. But um, for me, my favorite part in the match was when MJF hit, hit the crossroads on uh, on Moxley. I thought that was a big slap in the face to Cody. So that was fun to see. Um, he's definitely one of the best heels in the business. But I think John Moxley as well, if he wanted to turn and turn it and uh, become a heel, I think that would maybe even better him and better his reign. So I don't know what to really expect moving forward with John Moxley as the champ. I think it's already kind of gotten stale, but um, let's see what AEW does moving forward. I think it might be uh, Lance Archer's time now after winning the Casino Battle Royale. I thought he would have lost it at, um, I can't remember when, but when Brian Cage came in, that's when I thought it would have been time. Because like he took down Brody Lee and Brian Cage after coming in hot with their debuts and then Moxley taking them out. And we're like, oh shit, should that really be happening? So like I kind of, you said Orton 2012. I kind of thought about his WWE title run back in uh, 16, I think it was. The money in the bank where he's kind of just floating. So I see what you mean there. But yeah, I'm not sure how. Maybe Archer might be the guy to take it off him. But they should be thinking about who's next in line if it's not him. Yeah, I just like even like I was looking back at like the Battle Royal and you had guys like Darby Allen who were in the match and, you know, they were, you know, they were doing like amazing things even before that. Like, I'm pretty sure Darby Allen faced Jericho for the belt one one time and that was absolutely amazing. I think, you know, you now you, you have a, a, an opportunity. I mean, like Alino, uh, Cody Rhodes is now out. I'm pretty sure he's out indefinitely. You now have Brody Lee, who's the TNT champion. So the, again, there's another hole there. Um, who like who really is the top face in AEW other than John Moxley? Because to me, it's very very thin in terms of like singles baby faces. So I really have no idea who would be next in line. I mean, I guess it's Lance Archer. He won the Battle Royal. He's 43 years old though, so I don't know how like how how far they kind of want to go with this. I don't know if it's going to be like, if he, if he were to beat Moxley, then what value does that bring, um, you know, Brian cage and Brody Lee, like moving forward. Like we know Lance Archer, six foot eight, he's a monster. He's a machine. But like at the end of the day, I don't think he's a Brian cage and I don't think he's a Brody Lee. So if he were to maybe beat John Moxley, I think that's just a placeholder for maybe a Kenny Omega down the line. Orange Cassidy. Let's book it. <laughs> uh, but Pinello uh, and Chris, uh, Chris and I talked last week about uh, a certain free agent, Brock Lesnar, uh, being rumored floating around over there. Uh, just curious. We got uh, each other's thoughts out last week, but uh, curious, what do you think if AEW uh, were to bring in Brock or should they even pursue him? Yeah, hey, I don't know what you guys are smoking, but ship some of that shit my way. But uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't. If Brock showed up on AEW, 
I'm picturing like a full arena, like none of this COVID bullshit. There's it's twenty thousand sold out. The place would blow off the fucking roof. It would. I would get like WCW late ninety vibes. Guys just jumping ship all the time. But if he if he showed up on Wednesday night, I would change the wrestling landscape forever. I do not see it happening though. And what do you think of uh, on Twitter? I found this like the most dumbest shit I've ever read. There were fans saying, oh, he's not a good fit. Why bother pers- like going after him? No one likes him. Uh, oh, do they know that this is supposed to be like a brand? Like you want to build up your brand, you go after the top free agents. Like when Matt Cardona is available and some of the other guys are available, you go after them. But a guy like Brock Lesnar, you, you don't want to bring him on your team. Yeah, like that's a guy. Like the fit, it, it fits like a glove. Doesn't matter where you are. Like that's the biggest attraction in pro wrestling is Brock Lesnar. Doesn't matter what he's doing. If he shows up Wednesday night, they're number one because that's who you're gonna go pay to see. So uh, yeah, they're signing all the. As I said before the pod went on, they signed Tainata Kanchi and all these fucking after fucking thoughts and NXT. And like if Lesnar's there and there's a real opportunity, throw whatever money you have to at him. What do you think about that, Chris? You throw, do you uh, write them the check? Or you think that e, like executive vice presidents, the five that they have, will get a little jealous of uh, the kind of money he'd be making? I, I think you always have to bring in um, chemistry and, uh, and value. Obviously, Brock Lesnar's value is the highest in pro wrestling. If it's not him, I'd maybe say, you know, you have a guy like... Um, What's his name there in New Japan? Uh, Will Ospreay. I think that's another guy that everybody kind of wants. But, yeah, uh, if Brock Lesnar were to go to AEW, uh, that would just change everything. I think that's when you finally realize that Roman Reigns, you know, is now the Brock Lesnar in WWE, um, if that were to happen. I mean, I think it would have to happen with Roman and the circumstances he's in right now. I absolutely love the run that he's doing right now. Um Brock Lesnar, though, on the other hand, I mean, if you were to go to AEW, I really don't know what to expect there because there's a lot of guys that he's he hasn't really butted heads with in a while. I mean, would you go like would they go the the nostalgia route and go with like Brock Lesnar versus Chris Jericho? Would they go with Brock versus John Moxley right away? And so they can, you know, um, you know, one up their WrestleMania match. That was a complete disaster. So I really don't know what to expect with Brock Lesnar. I mean, we talked even last week, uh, you know, if, you know, a dream match with Kenny and, and Brock Lesnar for the AEW title, that'd be absolutely amazing. You can maybe even have, it actually ties in perfectly well with what we talked about. If you had Kenny turn heel with the Young Bucks, you could have maybe those four torment Brock Lesnar and it'd be like that for the belt. So there's a lot of things that they can do, especially even now with a guy like a Brian Cage who, is kind of looked at as kind of like a Brock Lesnar as he's like this unstoppable monster. So there's a lot of things they could do there. But again, like, like Pinello said, I, I don't see him going anywhere, but WWE. For me, it's, it's Brian cage, just the battle of the F fives. And like, the, there's similar build. And like, that's the guy who you probably like, Oh yeah, Lesnar's coming in. He's coming in in about three months. And then they'd say, okay, we're building up Brian cage nonstop. Cause that's who he's going to face in a year. Yeah, like similar then, how they tried to build up Lashley. And you know what they could do? Taz turns on Brian Cage, aligns with Brock Lesnar. There's your mouthpiece. 
I like that. I'll bring SmackDown 02 vibes. That'd be amazing. Yeah. That'd be dope. Hold <laughs> on, uh, Chris. Anything to add there, buddy? Nah, man. It's pretty good. Uh, I guess if you want to talk more wrestling, I want to quickly discuss what the hell do we expect moving forward with this Roman Reigns angle? Because this guy right now, he's got a completely new look, if you guys have not noticed. I mean, he has different teeth. He looks a lot more muscular. He's got a manager. He doesn't talk a lot. Uh, how long do you guys think this reign will last? And what is next for The Fiend with the big dog just dominating SmackDown? I think for The Fiend, I'm not too worried about him. He's, he's kind of like, he doesn't need to be featured all the time. Every single week, he'll just pop up whenever it's right, whenever the feud is, uh, whenever it makes sense. But like for Roman, he's not doing a whole lot of, I, I don't know if it's just me, but like not, it's not a whole lot of different. He just has a mouthpiece with him now. And the fact that it's Paul Heyman, and everyone loves Paul Heyman and the work that he does, Roman can just come out, say a few words as usual, um, and just kick ass like he always does. Like, to me, not a whole lot. It's like, there might be, like, a different kind of confidence in the way that he walks because he might be kind of heelish now. But, um, yeah, to me, Roman's Roman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see this uh, being a long reign. Uh, I don't know if we'll go to WrestleMania. I still think Roman and The Rock is the match at Mania. If they're, well, I think they're going to try and get as many fans as they can as possible. I think WWE, the reason why they went with this virtual route it's because they're a publicly traded company. AEW right now, they're kind of like the experiment company with the fans in attendance. I think WWE is looking at that. So while they're this month in that Thunderdome, probably looking out as uh, kind of options, see how many people, if they test positive at the AEW events, if it runs smoothly, uh, the NFL, if it runs smoothly there, then maybe WWE will say, okay, we can have like 500 people at this place uh once a week we'll tape our shows and that will be it so i still think uh by royal rumble there could at least be some crowd in attendance hopefully and uh we could see that roman and the rock match at wrestlemania in front of uh maybe a thousand people i uh i agree with that i do see the rock facing roman reigns down the line i just think it's gonna happen he's not doing any movies not doing anything like that. So I think that would be a perfect marquee matchup. And it's it's kind of been teased for years now, too. I mean, you hear about matches all the time. Like, like I remember, I think it was 2015 on. We always heard, oh, is like Batista Triple H, Batista Triple H, Batista Triple H. And then finally it happened. So I feel like that's the same thing with The Rock and Roman Reigns. And like we've heard it for years. And I think it's finally going to happen. And I think it's going to kick ass. I think Roman's going to win. I don't see The Rock winning. If he does, that's hilarious. I'll I'll be happy for The Rock, but it, it'd be it'd be pretty funny. Like just just imagine The Rock with that blue Universal title. That's just that's that's hilarious. But uh, anything's possible. Uh, I don't know what's going to what to happen with Roman, but I want to quickly ask before we go. Uh, Jay Uso ended up winning the number one contenders match. We talked a bit about it last week. Pinello, what do you expect to happen in this match? Do you expect it to be like a a, a, con, uh, what's it, a competitive back and forth championship match? Or do you anticipate it to be a squash match from Roman Reigns? I hope it's back and forth. 
We've seen so much uh, tag team brilliance from the Usos over the years. This is uh, this is Jay's spot. Gets to close out Friday night with his cousin. I hope it's a 15-minute banger, but if it was a squash match and then they went in another direction with that, wouldn't be surprised. But I really want to see them go at it to close the show. Well, because there's, yeah. there's also been rumors that, you know, they might even join together the Usos and Roman Reigns. So I really don't know what to make of this. I don't know if this is going to be a squash match. I don't know if this is going to be, okay, Jay, lay down for me. I'm your cousin. I'm the champ. Lay down for me and take the pin. I really don't know what to expect, but I am very excited because it is fresh and we have never really seen it. But moving forward, there's a little storyline going on with Big E in that it was supposed to be Big E in the match and then Jay Uso replaced him. So I guess, Pinello, I'll start with you. Does Big E in the long run, maybe in a year, maybe not even, maybe in a couple months, do you see him getting a big singles push? Oh, absolutely. It's now's kind of the time with, uh, with Kofi and Xavier out on the shelf. We've seen him do a lot of singles action the last few weeks. Everyone forgot about how talented of a singles performer that Big E was. So, you know, he's the kind of guy he could work with anyone. He could make anything work with anyone, especially with Roman. Those two just thinking of it now would be something special. So I, I'm still, I would love to see like, he doesn't have to turn heel. I just want to see like a more badass biggie. Like I'm picturing like his NXT days when he'd do the five count and he would just fucking run through everybody. I want to see that biggie come back and then on his way to a title push for that. Yeah, I see yeah. that happening at TLC. Uh, maybe Royal Rumble. I don't know if he'll win the Royal Rumble, but I do see that as being like the night Big E is going to be legitimized as a main eventer. So uh, I do see him uh, winning the title. Uh, probably, if it's not WrestleMania, he'll win it shortly after. I do see this uh, push leading to something big for him. Do you think it will be a bigger re- reaction than when Kofi Kingston won it with uh, Daniel Bryan? Maybe online, uh, but if you're looking at the crowd, it'll probably be a thousand people if you're lucky. The screens will go crazy. I'm sure they'll have those piped in uh, crowd noises in the arena to make it sound uh, nice for him. A lot better than when Drew won it, when uh, no one was there in the building, just him and Brock and Paul Heyman and the referee. So a nice moment for Big E. I just think they're trying to groom Roman Reigns as like, like on that level of Daniel Bryan heel, like the work that Daniel Bryan did that year as a heel was absolutely ridiculous. He was the best heel in the business. And that wasn't even a question. And I think right now it's still Randy Orton. Who's the best heel right now, but Roman Reigns is now right behind him, And so is Seth Rollins. So those are, I think the, the top three heels in the company are those three guys. And it's awesome to see. It's awesome to say Roman and Seth as top heels, because these guys Year after year, they were baby faces and they were getting handed titles. And you thought for a second that they were John Cena with the amount of titles that they were getting handed. So, I mean, Seth Rollins' heel run in 2015 was it was hilarious in that he got handed everything and he was kind of cowardly. But now Seth Rollins as a heel is absolutely money. He 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 defends what he says. You know, he 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 wins most of his battles. And then now there's Roman Reigns, who's now. He went from being that, you know, tweener where he doesn't say much. He fights whoever he wants, but he's that face. And now he's that guy that, you know, he he doesn't give a shit about anyone else except himself. So I think that Roman Reigns, if they're going to groom him to be 
one of the best heels in the company, like a Daniel Bryan a couple years ago, then I see Biggie's if if he becomes eventual champion, I think it'll be a huge standing all for Biggie. I love that. But with that being said, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks so much, guys, for listening. Stay tuned for next week. This is me, Aulino, and Pinello signing out. <laughs>